All right. It is the week of November 1st, 2021, and this is the Fight Business Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Auger, and today we're going to talk about the UFC's expansion into the Middle East. UFC President Dana White has had some meetings this past weekend after UFC 267. We'll have some more meetings, it sounds like, to hopefully iron out some deals between the promotion and the country's Board of Tourism. I'll break down what it means moving forward and why the UFC are making these moves right now. Then we're going to talk about quote-unquote free pay-per-views on ESPN+. Should the UFC continue to have events like UFC 267 where you just have to pay the $5 subscription fee or is a bad business call? I'll look at both sides of the argument and make a recommendation for the promotion as they move forward. Next, we will discuss the state of the Professional Fighters League. The PFL had their championship event this past week. The ratings are in. And we're going to do some analysis on what they mean as well as where that promotion stands in the overall MMA landscape and how they can move forward. We'll also talk about free agents in the PFL. Some big names, including Kayla Harrison, will be testing free agency here coming up. Where should they go? We'll discuss whether they go to the UFC, Bellator 1, or stay with the PFL and what makes the most sense. Also do a little fantasy free agency for the PFL fighters a.k.a. Ray Cooper, who I guess is not currently free agent anymore, but we'll we'll get into that. Lastly, we will talk about DAZN buying BT Sport. One source says it's a done deal. Many others say the deal is imminent. At this point, we're going to assume that that deal is going to happen, and we'll break down what it means for our friends across the pond who currently watch UFC, which BT Sport owns the broadcast. Sorry, guys. I know getting up at 3 a.m. is not ideal for UFC events, and it may be getting a little worse for you. I'll explain why. With that in mind, we've got timestamps at the bottom as always, and let's go ahead and dive right in. All right, so the first thing I want to talk about is the UFC's expansion into the Middle East. So prior to UFC 267 and in the post-fight press conference, Dana White did speak about how he was having several meetings with key people within the government and tourism board about working out a new deal between the promotion and Abu Dhabi. Now, he also indicated they're not quite done yet. He doesn't have anything special to announce at the time. He's probably going to have to go back out there to finish it up, but seemed like things progressed in the right way if you read between the lines. In order to set the stage for this most recent expansion, we have to go back to UFC 242. That was where you had Habib defend his title against Dustin Poirier, It also signified the first deal between Abu Dhabi and the UFC for a five-year deal, which saw the promotion supposed to come back once a year at least. I think they could have more events, but they were contractually obligated to come back and host at least one event per year in Abu Dhabi. It was a big deal at the time. Abu Dhabi's Board of Tourism really touted it out. Uh, Dana said it was great, all that stuff. And then COVID hit. And with COVID came Fight Island which saw a restructuring of that deal that really, especially from what I've heard, but you can also just see what's out there in publications, was a win-win for both sides. UFC was able to continue hosting events, uh, appeared to do it safely and under strict regulations that Abu Dhabi made sure were in place. And Abu Dhabi was able to tout themselves as one of the few countries that could safely host during a pandemic. I mean, that's a very big thing to tout for your board of tourism seemed like a win-win all around. It, it allowed, you know, the promotion to continue holding events, 
Abu Dhabi to look like a star in the middle of a worldwide phenomenon can't get much better, right? When you fast forward to this past weekend, the pandemic at this point is becoming more endemic. You know, a lot of scientists are saying that it will definitely be endemic by March of 2022. We'll see what happens with all that, obviously. But in a lot of regions, especially in the U.S. and several other countries, you know, restrictions, things of that nature are really starting to loosen up. Cases are going down. It's all good, COVID-wise, at least currently. Could always see another spike during the winter. That wouldn't be shocking at all. And depending on what region you're in, right? Like Colorado right now is having a bit of a bad time. It's becoming endemic. It Where you are depends on what restrictions are in place, how bad it is, et cetera, et cetera. But the Biden administration in the U.S. did mandate that for international travel, you're going to have to have a vaccine. So if you're coming into the U.S., you've got to be vaccinated, all that. That's led White to say, yeah, we're going to host more events over in Fight Island to make sure for our international guys, because we don't want to force anybody to get a vaccine. That's their company policy, the line they've towed the whole time, all that. And it makes sense that this deal would happen now anyway, and these discussions would really ramp up, because when Habib defended the title against Poirier back at 242, there certainly seemed to be a swell of interest in the region and really seemed to kick off a renewed focus on the Abu Dhabi tourism board and the Abu Dhabi government to be a new burgeoning place for MMA. It really did. I mean, if you look at 267, I don't think a lot of people know this, but According to ArabianBusiness.com, which, yes, is legitimate, um, they had a essential, essentially a showdown week, which was, I guess you could call it International Fight Week, but more just focused towards the Middle East. That culminated with UFC 267. And so it's, it's interesting because when you talk to, and I'm pulling up the article now, when you when you talk to people in the government and you look at, I'm going to butcher this name, I apologize, uh, Anne Fatima Saeed Al-Balushi, the deputy director of the Abu Dhabi Events Bureau at the Department of Culture and Tourism Abu Dhabi, she has said that Abu Dhabi has ambitions to become the MENA, which is the Middle East region, uh, capital for MMA and the return of Abu Dhabi Showdown Week, which was this past week, will only enhance that mission with a series of events and activations leading to the much-anticipated UFC 267. Key, key point of that quote is the first part. Abu Dhabi has ambitions to become the MENA capital for MMA. M-E-N-A capital for MMA. Sorry, I'm terrible pronunciation. Um, that, that's huge. Because that is a government saying, we want this. We want to be the place that hosts the UFC all the time, that hosts the biggest MMA events. They're doing, again, an international fight week type thing for 267. When you have a government backing it, that's very good news for promotion because I am sure that Dana White can get a good deal with it. And given that Habib did retire, but has been kind of replaced, at least for stars in the region, you got both Islam Makachev and Hamzat Shemaev. 
it, it makes sense to strike while the iron is hot. UFC 267, I don't think could have gone better for the UFC in terms of now going back to the negotiating table and getting a deal done, right? You had Makachev pull off a fantastic submission against a well-known high-ranked lightweight in Dan Hooker. Talk about wanting to have a title fight in Abu Dhabi, which Dana White said he would allow if he gets to a title fight. And then you had Hamza Chimaev just ragdoll <laughs> the leech and get that submission and look like a star. And we already know he's a star. If you look at the social media numbers, if you look at videos on Hamzat, that man has drawing power. He could become a big, big star if he continues to work his way up the rankings. If he's that dominant, imagine if he goes out there and flatlines Usman. Ragdolls Kamaru Usman, gets a submission on Kamaru Usman. Could you imagine? He will be Conor McGregor levels. I truly believe that. I truly believe that. It'll be a different region of the world, but he will be that big. So right now, it makes all the sense in the world for Dana White to head back to Abu Dhabi in the next week or two, iron everything out, get a sweet deal to bring the promotion over to the region multiple times a year, and A, gets him, again, a ton of money, B, gets him a a ridiculous PR plug for his, his own views on, you know, getting around the vaccine mandate and, and subsequently really allows him to host international people with ease and, and gets paid for it. Right. And then three, it sets Abu Dhabi up to be kind of a central hub for not just the middle East, but you could look at India, China, all of those regions, even France, right? They've just legalized MMA. If you make Abu Dhabi your home and you're getting paid handsomely to do so, it would be very easy to host events there and have it be kind of equidistant for everybody in that region. So you could showcase cards with, again, people from Dagestan, Hamzat, Islam, even though even though they're not training out there as much. I know Islam is, but, um, well, not really. He's AKA, you know. But point is, you could bring in fans and new fighters from all of those regions. It's a good central hub for that part of the world. Europe is a little bit of a stretch, I agree. But still, it, it allows for true international events in a good region where you're getting paid really good money. Not to mention, right... Another important key aspect of this is there are very wealthy patrons and investors in the Middle East. Look at what the WWE did. They have that crown jewel show every year. It's Saudi Arabia, where they put on crazy fights. Brock Lesnar fights on it, all this other stuff, or wrestles on it. I, I know it's not real. <laughs> um, and they do all of that, and they get paid a ridiculous amount of money to do that. Now, Abu Dhabi is different than Saudi Arabia in a lot of ways, but it's still a good hub and a good way to network in that region. And they'll still make a lot of money. The UFC will make a lot of money to host events there. Abu Dhabi will pay up to do that. Again, you, you have a key official from the government saying, we want to be the MMA 
hub for the entire Middle East region. That's going to bode well. Not to mention, if anybody missed it, Dana White was granted Abu Dhabi citizenship this past weekend. I would say the negotiations are going very well. They really want him and the UFC to be there. That's going to give the UFC plenty of leverage, and they're going to utilize it. Not to mention gets around the vaccine mandate for international travelers. That's a, you know, dollar signs and win, win, win written all over it for the promotion. So it makes sense that the UFC makes this expansion and focuses on this market right now. You've got two hot up and coming stars. You need a place to host international fighters who don't want to take the vaccine. And you've already put out the narrative multiple times that you're not going to force anybody to do it. So well, backtracking now would kind of hurt your image as well as, you know, the trust of a lot of the fighters, to be frank. And you're going to get paid more money than he probably will. I'm trying to think of another. I, yeah, I think you'll probably get paid the most you would get paid of any region currently to host events there. There are some exceptions that could be there, but I mean, it's one of the highest paid regions for the UFC to host. Because remember, UFC gets paid to bring events there. Everybody was talking about UFC Hawaii and Hawaii's, you know, tourism board kind of, kind of, showed us a peek behind the curtain that said like they want $7 million to bring the event here and do all this stuff. And they turned it down. Why officials were like, no, Abu Dhabi is going to pay a lot more than that. And that's where the UFC gets to just show up. Abu Dhabi for Fight Island paid for all their flights, paid for the food for the fighters to get out there, along with X amount of dollars for just hosting the promotion. Abu Dhabi has money. This is, if, if the UFC was not making the moves that they are now in the Middle East, I would be flabbergasted because this is definitely the right time. Hands down, the best time to go into the region. So that's what's going on. Expect a big announcement, I would imagine, in a week or two. Um, I don't know what that announcement will be. If I had to take a guess, I would say you're looking at four to five pay-per-views a year in Abu Dhabi or four or five events with at least one pay-per-view type thing in Abu Dhabi, um, a renewed partnership type deal. Um, I don't think they would do a performance center, but you never know. That's another option they could go with. You're going to see something around there. Maybe, maybe an Abu Dhabi apex. So they could host non title cards there. Who knows? But expect a big announcement from white in the promotion here in a week or two for the region. And, yeah, it's marketing too. They expect a lot of marketing towards Makachev and Chimaev, although Chimaev, you you already know he's going to get a huge push. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be Middle East focused for a while. China's still there, right? They're still giving uh, Zhang Weili the title rematch and they'll still push China. Uh, Mexico, a couple other places are still there where they're building these performance centers and they're going to have events, but... The next hot market, at least for the next year or two, is going to be the Middle East for the UFC. I would bet a lot of money on it. Next thing I want to talk about today is the 
free quote unquote pay-per-view, even though it's not really free, you had to have at least have ESPN plus in order to watch it, but the free pay-per-view uh, that UFC 267 was right. It was a stacked card. Very, very good. A couple people complained about it, but for the most part, everyone was very happy about the quality of fights on that card. Had two title fights, interim bantamweight title, as well as the light heavyweight title. Uh, great storyline with Teixeira winning, all of that, et cetera, et cetera. But I was asked, you know, does it make sense for the UFC to host more events like this? where it's a pay-per-view or a numbered UFC card that's just behind the ESPN Plus paywall. There are some pros and cons, right? Pro is that you are more likely to get people to watch these cards compared to some of the fight nights they've put on. Right, The past three weeks before UFC 267 were a little grueling, a little tough in terms of you had maybe one or two really good fights at the top, and then the rest were a lot of contender series guys or mid-carder or undercard guys that really didn't have name value to them. Uh, a lot of people complained about it. A lot of people said, oh, these you know fight night cards are terrible, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, they were not the strongest on paper. One or two delivered. I think one really delivered. The other two were kind of eh, not, not the best to watch, and we're kind of, okay, whatever. But... You know, having every once in a while a numbered card on just ESPN Plus without having to pay the extra 60-some dollars to buy a pay-per-view would certainly draw more interest from a lot of fans that own ESPN Plus and don't want to pay for a pay-per-view that maybe, you know, they really don't want to chuck out money for Jan versus Glover and uh, Jan versus uh, Sandhagen. Right? It's very possible that had 267 been a pay-per-view anyway, you'd be looking at a lower buy rate. So why not give fans these type of cards for freeze where they're still fun to watch for hardcore fans and even newer fans could get into them, but they're not guys that are going to hit 4,000, 500,000, sorry, 400,000, 500,000 plus pay-per-view buys. I mean, I love Jan and Glover, don't get me wrong. I also love uh, Jan and Sandhagen, but they're not necessarily draws or haven't proven to be draws as of yet. So why not do that? There's an argument to be made there. Keeps the hardcores happy, could possibly intrigue some people, especially it's on in the afternoon, right? It's not the nighttime. Whether or not you would have to do afternoon cards versus night cards, I think that's debatable, but it could certainly draw the attention of people who otherwise may not watch the UFC. So it's a thought. Downside being, the UFC is guaranteed X amount of dollars regardless of how pay-per-views do now, right? Um, with their new deal with ESPN+, they get the equivalent of, I think it's 400,000. The numbers changed a little bit. We've gotten some new information on it. It was originally 500K. I think it's down closer to 400, 300K um, thousand pay-per-view buys. They get that for just hosting a pay-per-view event, regardless of how it actually sells. Then if it gets above that number, you're looking at additional money that is split between ESPN and the UFC. So if they hit above that threshold, UFC gets paid more. 
Thus, for pay-per-view cards and numbered cards where they stack it like this, they generally want to make that behind the pay-per-view wall. There's still more financial incentive for them to host pay-per-views than not, right? That deal with ESPN is locked in. So you could have terrible pay-per-views. I mean, downright awful pay-per-view buys, sub 100K. And it doesn't really matter to the UFC because they at least get a, you know, floor. But by hosting those number cards, if they do break that, you know, floor, they they get more money. And it's at no risk to them. So why not? Hey, you know, we saw Amanda Nunes beat Cyborg. She's a bigger star now, two belts, all that stuff. Go ahead and have her headline a card. Let's see how she does now. Or, oh, we think that Jan may have gotten some traction after beating Adesanya, and it could be a big deal and all this stuff. And you got the Glover storyline and and uh, Piotr Jan and Sandhagen is just an amazing fight. Let's Let's go ahead and throw that on a pay-per-view and see where it goes. There's no risk to the UFC right now. All the risk is on ESPN. And ESPN doesn't really have any say in the actual programming that UFC arranges. I'm sure, you know, UFC doesn't want to piss them off and there are discussions, but for the most part, the UFC decides who they want on a pay-per-view card and then just says, here you go, ESPN, and ESPN broadcasts it. So there is no incentive right now for the UFC financially to do this. Here, though, is maybe the main reason why I think it's not a bad idea every once in a while. If you look at when the UFC moved to ESPN+, Plus, right? First event, you had a pretty stacked card. You had Henry Cejudo versus TJ Dillashaw in a champion versus championship fight. Um, got a massive amount of subscribers for ESPN+. Plus to sign up right away. And it was a quote-unquote free card, right, in terms of you had to pay just the ESPN Plus subscription, and then you were in, you were good to go, and you could watch the fight. Didn't have to pay anything else. This was before the pay-per-view deal was done, too, right, where ESPN became the exclusive pay-per-view provider. This was before that, but point is, it it definitely caused a surge in ESPN Plus subscriber growth there is an argument to be made that if you host one of these a year you could hypothetically get more people to just subscribe to espn plus maybe they try it out see see if they like it or not and then either stay on and become a hardcore fan or maybe they don't but maybe they keep espn plus because they like the other stuff on there or they forget right a lot of people a lot of people miss the point that subscription models are as effective as they are because you have a, a ton of people who yes subscribe the, for the content monthly and want that content monthly but you also have a subset of people that just forget they've subscribed to it and it's like 5 bucks on their credit card and they totally forget about it until they see their credit card statement and they're like oh right but there are a lot of people that just forget they're subscribed and then you just get money and that counts as a subscriber for ESPN+. Plus. And even if they don't forget, and then the next month they cancel, for that one month, they had a boost in subscriber growth. And they can say, look at our numbers for X month. It's a good gauge for ESPN to see what UFC's drawing power is to the casual fan. Right? Because if I am 
a casual or maybe semi-casual. Maybe I've watched one or two pay-per-views with my friends. It's fine or whatever. Saturday afternoon for Halloween. I'm probably not doing anything until night anyway. And I see that I could watch two title fights and see some fights for five bucks. Well, okay. Or a free trial, right? Seven-day free trial. And then, oops, I forgot. Well, there's five bucks type of deal. I mean, maybe I do it. 70 or 65 eh, maybe not but five dollars yeah i could probably throw a fire and see what's going on it's a classic low entry or free trial offer that then they hope to convert people with doing that once a year isn't a bad call because again i love jan and glover but i don't think this would have been a 300k plus pay-per-view buy right? Jan hasn't proven, Glover hasn't proven that they can pull in those numbers. Neither is Jan or Sandhagen. And those were the two top billings. Chemayev was there, so who knows, but I don't think Chemayev's quite there yet, right? Um, same with Makachev. I mean, there's, there could be some argument with all those guys on there. You never know. But still, for the most part, I think this was a quote-unquote safe pay-per-view to make free and for the ufc right yes i don't get that financial incentive but if it was going to be below that floor anyway i actually don't lose any money from it and i probably make my partner espn plus or espn happy and that's something that the ufc really wants to make sure they're doing they've got a lot of time so if they messed up and caused some friction between espn and ufc there'd be time to repair it but in general, you want to keep your broadcast partner happy if you're a promotion. Because then when the rights come up for, for renewal, they're much more likely to say, yeah, these guys have been great to work with. It's a little bit more money than I want to pay, but we want to keep this content, and they've been fantastic to work with. Let's go ahead and pull the trigger. So that gives them some goodwill with Disney and ESPN. If the UFC decides to do one card a year, one or two, I'd say one is fine. And say, yeah, one really good pay-per-view card all you got to do is just sign up for espn plus it makes sense you see this all the time with or, or used to if you used to watch cable and now you don't um with showtime you'd have free week right where it'd be like oh you get showtime you can get hbo get all this stuff for free for one week to try it out this would be kind of similar well instead of buying a pay-per-view you just five dollars and you get to kind of see what espn plus is all about and or you, i'm sure there's free trials out there still where yeah you could do a free trial for a week and guess what you get it ufc pay-per-view same type of deal so i think there is something to be said and i would argue especially with champions that don't tend to draw high it makes sense for the ufc to do this because you still have to have those champions fight and they're almost always going to be minimum co-main but a lot of times you've got to put a couple champions that don't draw super well in the main event and it also allows you to fulfill your contract obligations because you need to offer so many fights to fighters at certain times. Gives the hardcores something to look forward to where, oh, great, I get a reprieve. I'm a diehard fan. I pay all this money for pay-per-views. Finally, I get a pay-per-view style card for just my ESPN description. It's going to help retention in that regard. I, I think it makes a lot of sense to do once or twice a year. So that would be my recommendation to the promotion is, yeah, do one event a year 
that's free, quote unquote. You have to sign up for ESPN Plus, but then it's it's a pay-per-view style card. Because, yeah, if I'm on the fence and I'm kind of more casual than hardcore, I decide to watch that event and I see some of those finishes and some of those fights. I see Jan versus Sandhagen. Well, dang, man. Yeah, I'm in, <laughs> right? Just makes sense to do. So I would argue there's more pros than cons in that regard. UFC should continue to do at least one pay-per-view style event that's not an actual pay-per-view and is just behind the ESPN plus paywall. All right, the next thing to talk about here is the PFL had their championship event last week, and the ratings are in, and they are awful. 166K viewers, 0.05 in the demo, I believe. Just miserable stuff. And for those of you that initially say, oh, Cable's dead or all this stuff, well, you had plenty of other Cable shows do much, much better that night. There's, there's still plenty of viewers out there, and it's not, it is not a set thing, right? It is relative to all of the ratings out there, PFL did very bad. There's just no other way to cut it. And I like PFL. A lot of people have accused me of disliking the PFL. No, I like PFL quite a bit. I love the tournament style. I like the way that they handle um, the, the production value and, and the interview. Some of the snippets they have on ESPN Plus with some of their behind-the-scenes stuff is actually really cool. It's not talked about enough. Big fan of the PFL, but you can't deny that those ratings are not what the promotion wanted to see. It's tough, right? We've talked about one championship on here. We, we've talked a little bit about PFL on here since being back. They're startups. They require a lot of money from investors, a lot of funding from different entities and vehicles because they're nowhere near profitable and they have to convince these guys that they're headed towards big profitability and those that equity stake that they those investors originally came in for is going to be worth tons and tons of money. These type of results do not really bode well approve that. Also keep in mind, the pacing of that show was atrocious, right? I mean, you had one fight an hour for multiple hours. That's, you can't do that. You, you can't. It, it's terrible, terrible work on the PFL the production team or whoever made that call. I don't know exactly who that call landed on, but that was a very bad business move. Because if I am a casual viewer, right? That means that given any particular hour where that occurred, which I think was two or three hours of that, where it was one fight in just two or three hours. If I'm a casual viewer and I'm flipping channels, that means that if I happen to flip the channel during that hour, there is at least, at least a 60% chance of just people talking or doing a recap or doing things that I probably don't know or care about as a casual viewer, right? Even if you're recapping the previous night, you're talking about a particular fighter and trying to show their story, like that's that's not how you're gonna rein 
a casual guy in. And then let's say, okay, I go go ahead and I stop for a second and I watch. Your attention span for a casual viewer is very small. The window to convince them, eh, maybe I'll go ahead and keep watching this, extremely small. And most of the time you're showing highlights. That's, mm, no, that, that is not how you acquire new customers, my friend. Doesn't matter if you're in broadcast media, if you're trying to sell any type of product, no. You've got to be showcasing the product a lot more than that. Yes, you're going to have filler. Yes, you're going to have recaps and discussions, but the amount they had was was egregious. Egregious. So I'm not surprised at all that these ratings are as bad as they are. They're 200K off of, I think, the 2019 championship fights. And this season was a tumultuous one for many reasons, right? You had COVID. You had a lot of controversy in the regular season with some guys not making it through. None of their real star signings got to the end other than Kayla, which isn't really a star signing as much as a homegrown product of, of PFL. A lot of people said the tournament was one of the best this year. I got to disagree personally. I think with the judging the, the judging that happened in some of those fights in the regular season, as well as, you know, the controversy with Verdum and a couple others, I think it was a bad time for the PFL because they are multiple years into this now. This is not their year one or even their year two. They should have more of these kinks ironed out at this point, and they don't. And yes, you had a pandemic, and I think they did a solid job keeping people from, you know, with the bubble and all that, like, great work. You didn't have people pulling out because of COVID protocol and causing a bunch of issues there. That's, that's good. But it still is just, it, it's not a good look when you have so much controversy and there's only so many fights a year and, and all of this stuff. It's just, it's not the best of looks, honestly. And then the championship event, you had some good fights, some great fights on the prelims. Um, but then you had Clarissa Shields lose, right? You had some boring fights. You had all that filler. It just was a rough time, even for the hardcore fan base. And when the hardcore fan base is complaining about your product, then you're really in trouble. Because why would a casual viewer be more into that than the hardcore fan? If you're doing something completely crazy with your product and the hardcores are, you know, pouting and doing the old man, well, I don't like the way that is. That's one thing. But if it's about pacing, if it's about just watching and getting just the base content, that's a huge problem. I would say that with the ESPN rights deal coming up soon and the way the PFL is done, unless a ton of people were watching just on ESPN plus, And those numbers were really, really good, which I see no indication as to why they would be that much better. I think you're looking at them not getting picked up by ESPN for a renewal and maybe them kind of limping into a TV deal somewhere else, but I don't think they're going to get the deal they want at this point. They'd have to find a way to dramatically turn things around to get a deal that they really want moving forward for a broadcast rights deal. And they need it desperately because that's where you become 
profitable, right? PFL is, is not going to be profitable based on ticket sales or advertisement. They, they need to have a broadcast media rights deal. And I don't know that they're going to get higher than the 5 million reported $5 million or whatever that ESPN gave them. I really don't at this point. I can't see it. I think it'll probably be lower or at best, same type of deal. Could be higher. You never know, especially if there's a new streaming service out there that's really dying for content. And it's like, okay, we'll go ahead and pay this at a premium and hopefully turn it around. Sure. It's always possible, but it, it's not going to be some groundbreaking thing and profitable, in, uh, at least in the next deal, I would imagine. I'd be shocked if it was. I've been wrong before, but this one seems pretty clear cut to me. So with that in mind, what do you do in regards to paying out the million dollar championship and all this other stuff, right? And yes, it is a million dollar over the course of the entire season. They don't get a million dollars just for winning that one fight. That's also important to clear up. The million dollars that, that they quote unquote win is throughout the entire season. Their entire season total adds up to a million dollars. That's very important to point out because I saw a lot of people saying like they just gave away a million dollars to all these champions on that night. Like, why wouldn't you go over there if you were, you know, a mid-card fighter in the UFC? I still think that holds, but it's not this crazy $1 million payday for just one fight that a lot of people think it is. It's not. So you still make a lot of money even if you just get to the finals itself and lose, though. So that's also important. But, you know, circling back to the state of the company, I think, as I said on last week's episode, I think one championship is kind of circling the drain. I think PFL is probably circling the drain at this point, too. Now, they do have some, you know, celebrity investors. You've got Wiz Khalifa. You, you've got some bigger names, uh, Washington Wizards owner, uh, somebody over at Apple. I forget who. Um, you've, you've got people bigger name celebrity investors in the PFL. I will say that, but it's still, it's hard to get them to keep paying up when you're, you know, delivering these types of ratings and these types of numbers. And it will depend on how good Don Davis and some of the PFL upper management is at convincing these guys like, Hey, I know it was rough, but look at what we were able to accomplish here. They, they will try and turn the numbers and we've seen it happen before. One championship's done it quite successfully for quite a long time. So I don't think that they're dead in the water right now, but they are certainly headed that way. And I'm not sure what they can do other than getting investors involved who don't truly understand what they're getting into or pitching something that they're going to unveil. You know, I it, it looks real bad right now. I, I don't know how they turn this around because they're only going to keep signing bigger name talent, right? That was always part of the plan. You have this format and then you start to get some of these name value guys like Anthony Pettis, Fabrizio Verdum, Roy McDonald. But that clearly hasn't translated because you also are not guaranteed that those guys show up in the championships. That doesn't happen, which is great from a purist standpoint. I love it, but your ratings aren't going to be massive if your only star is Kayla Harrison, who 
quite frankly, hasn't proven herself to be a draw. In, in the MMA community, she's a big name. A lot of people love her. They're high on her. I get that. That's fine. But the hardcore MMA community does not pay the bills. That is important to remember. You have to extend beyond and gain enough interest that a media company is going to say, yeah, I'll pay you $25, $50 million a year to have your content here. And that's not happening. Their ratings are, are bad. On, on the night that's supposed to be the biggest night in PFL, that, those ratings were terrible. 166K is awful for viewership rating. It's, you know, I'm pretty sure the the dudes that show up at AEW's wrestling were getting way more attention than, than the PFL fighters that are currently still fighting. I mean, that's what we're looking at, at here. So right now the state is not so great. With that in mind, let's talk about some free agency with PFL, right? Originally it was announced that Ray Cooper, the third was going to be a free agent, but I guess because he won the belt that triggered a automatic extension. So he's going to be a PFL next year. Kayla Harrison is coming up for free agency. I'm sure there are some other PFL fighters that also were probably only signed on for a season or two. They're coming up. I wouldn't be surprised if Natan Schultz, Lance Palmer were, free agents. Um, I'm not hundred percent on that though, but for, for the sake of kind of fantasy free agency here, let's say that you've got Lance Palmer, Natan Schultz, Kayla Harrison. And even though we know he's not Ray Cooper or let's go McDonald actually. Sure. Let's go Roy McDonald, bigger name. Why not? Harrison is the only one actually coming up free agency. The other three, probably not, but we'll just say it is for the sake of argument here. I think all three agents right now in the PFL, except maybe 155 divisions that aren't one women 155ers that aren't named Kayla Harrison. I think all of my personal business advice would 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 they would all fall under the same umbrella. They should all do the same thing. And that is stick with the PFL, especially Kayla Harrison, right? Here's why. Looking at Kayla Harrison specifically, was made note that she was coming up for free agency. Dana White and her had a little bit of back and forth. Dana said, yeah, you should stay there, all this. Kayla said, ah, you know, blah, blah, blah. But White is correct in that right now, Kayla Harrison is getting paid a million dollars a year to be people that frankly do not belong in the cage with her for the most part. You could argue one or two people do. Um, obviously, Julia Budd being signed to the PFL will be a test for Harrison for next season if Harrison stays. But I mean, what? Uh, Taylor Gerardo, and sorry if I'm butchering the name again. Um, Versus Harrison, she was three and one, right? Three and one against Harrison, who was, is undefeated in double digits and has a Olympic background in judo. And Harrison mauled her. You are getting paid more money than most fighters receive during their entire career lifetime. And you're getting paid 
to fight opponents that are below your skill level or at best maybe a slight challenge to you because you are the quote-unquote face of the promotion. If I'm correct that the PFL is going to go under in the next couple of years because they're unable to secure more funding and, you know, get something aligned, you take advantage of every year that they exist. Because you've already made a name for yourself. The company has already put you up as this poster child for PFL. So you don't have to worry about marketing yourself when you do want to go to another promotion. And you're making really good money. I mean, crazy good money for the level of competition that you've had to fight. There are several UFC champions that will not make as will not have career earnings that you end up with if you're Kayla Harrison. So my business advice, you stay in the PFL. Now, I guess I'm going to backtrack one thing a little bit because I said pretty much all PFL fighters should take that route. And I do think the majority of them should, right? You have a lot of guys that would not get paid nearly as much as some of these fighters get in the PFL if they win the entire thing, you have some of these guys, again, go and they go to the UFC or they're from the UFC, Antonio Carlos Jr., right? Antonio Carlos Jr. He's won a million dollars and did it in easy fashion, so to speak, <laughs> this past week. He was win-loss, tough decisions throughout his UFC career. It makes a lot of sense for most guys to stay in PFL. Maybe Rory McDonald, maybe Pettis, who could command a higher salary in one or Bellator with the right kind of, you know, push. Maybe they shouldn't be in PFL because obviously they didn't end up going into the playoffs and winning, and so they didn't make nearly as much money as they would have had they been champ or fought multiple times other places. But that's the rare occurrence. For the most part, I would suggest every fighter in the PFL continue to stay on if they can while the promotion exists. Because it is unlikely that a lot of those fighters will find that same opportunity outside the PFL, especially Kayla Harris, right? Even if Kayla Harrison wants to go somewhere else, where will she go? No one has a 155-pound division except the PFL. You could have her cut to 145, which she's done successfully before, but that's going to be tougher for her to do and take a bigger toll on her body. And even then, you've got, what, Bellator, which you could go to and get paid pretty well, right? But have a cyborg fight, sure. But that's really it. I mean, UFC has kind of indicated... Dana's like, I don't want to mess with that. And why would he? He doesn't want to build out the featherweight division. The UFC is very, made it very clear they're not going to build out the featherweight division in women, women's featherweight. So why would they pay a bunch of money to sign Kayla Harrison just for to fight Nunez once or twice? And then what? They just kind of stay there? Now, if UFC changes their mind on that, decides to actually build out the division, okay. Then Harrison has a home. But right now, she doesn't. And we don't know what continual 145 weight cuts will do to Harrison. 
We've seen some of these fighters struggle to make weight at the weight class below. They do it successfully for a little bit, but then they really run into trouble. Devison Figueredo is one that comes to mind. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of numerous fighters that as time goes on, it gets much harder to cut weight. And Harrison has fought most of her career, 155. It's tough. It's real tough for Harrison. She doesn't have a lot of options. So by all means, Harrison should stay there. I would say most fighters should, with the occasional maybe for some of the bigger name guys, but even, you know, McDonald, Pettis, and for Doom. I mean, where are they going to go at this point? and get paid or have the potential to be paid that much. Only those guys who might be able to become champion in another organization and hold that belt for a while. And Rory's kind of given that up since he left Bellator to go to PFL and had already lost to Lima, right? I mean, Rory's kind of stuck. Pettis, maybe? I, I, but Pettis also lost in, in the PFL. So now to go kind of try and sell his name and, and value elsewhere, it's not going to look as great. He's kind of stuck in the PFL too. I, to me, it just makes a lot of sense if you're in the PFL to stay there and get paid more money than most fighters other places and more money than a lot of these guys would be able to make in other promotions. I Because the PFL will not be here forever, in, in my opinion. It's, right now, there's too many flaws in the business, uh, as I've talked about. It, I just don't see it surviving. Stay in the PFL while you can. That's my advice to these fighters, especially Kayla Harrison. Collect that million dollars. You're good. You'll end up being a free agent anyway if the promotion goes under. And even if it doesn't, you're not going to get paid nearly as well anywhere else. Stay in the PFL. Be the big fish in the small pond. Make way more money than most MMA fighters without having to fight stiff competition. Seems like a no-brainer to me. All right, so the last thing I want to talk about tonight is the zone apparently buying out BT Sport. So according to planetsport.com, the uh, zone has reached a deal to buy BT Sport. Several other places, Sportico included, um, have said that they're in advanced talks. I'm going to go ahead and call it and say that this deal is pretty much done. And... That means that starting from next summer, DAZN will own the broadcasting rights to a bunch of things. Uh, according to this article, you're looking at a uh, couple of boxing fights. Um, you're looking at WWE, uh, Premier League, Serie A, and the UFC. Although, it's important to point out, the UFC rights end in November. So... What does this mean? Well, a couple things. This makes sense for DAZN to do. If you remember, which seems like ages ago, DAZN had the rights to Bellator and exclusive events for Bellator, as well as KSW. KSW was only a very short time, and then it was pretty much Bellator all the way. They got rid of all that. I've spoken quite a bit on the old Fight Business podcast about this, have a couple articles out there. But DAZN's plan, through a billionaire backer, was to become this big sporting media conglomerate that was to take over streaming. This was really before ESPN Plus was established, all this other stuff. 
and they had hoped to acquire big sports media rights. We're talking NBA, NFL, MLB, the, the big boys for sports media rights that make you a bunch of money through ad advertising and all of that. That's really what they were going for. Um, they, they failed, quite honestly, in that regard. They ended up you know, kind of backing out of the U.S. market and regrouping. And this is now their way to try and get back into the bidding war for those things, right? Um, the billionaire who funded him, I, f I forget his name. It's got an L. I'm not going to look it up right now. But um, uh, he had, you know, pretty much said he was done funding this losing endeavor. You had the previous ESPN president um, over at DAZN. You had good key people there, but it just wasn't kind of clicking like it should. They've now regrouped. By acquiring BT Sport, who is cash positive and profitable, this is going to allow DAZN to finally get a chance to bid for some of those bigger media rights. What they'll actually bid, we'll see. But, you know, I think the end goal is still we want to get, you know, Champions League and MLB and all these really big name media rights that are coming up quite soon. A lot of these TV deals are coming up next year, I believe. So it makes sense that they make this move now, have some more you know, profitability that they can take bigger loans out against so they can bid for these massive sports media rights. UFC being a part of it is a big boost for them short term, but with UFC rights coming up in November, they're only going to be on the zone for a certain amount of time. And it'll be interesting to see whether or not the zone hits the paywall on those, those rights. I would say yes, especially for UFC um, for the few months where they overlap. Right. Um, so to my understanding, if you're over in the UK or anywhere at BT sport right now, you, you pay for that channel kind of like you would here in the U S through a, a cable subscription or something like that. And then you are able to watch UFC events just on the channel. This now makes it another, you know, paywall similar to what happened with Bellator, where DAZN could easily say like, yep, for these pay-per-views and for some of these fight night events, you're going to have to pay our $20 a month subscription fee, which is quite high compared to a lot of the other subscription fee services out there. They may knock it down a little bit, but still it's, it's expensive. And they may say, yep, we're going to go ahead and, force you to pay for this in order for you to watch this stuff. Would be shocked. Would not be shocked, which sucks for my uh, UK friends who are waking up at ridiculous times to watch these cards anyway, but now you might have a paywall on top of that that you have to pay in order to just see the events. No telling if they'll actually do that or not. I'm sure it would make some people mad, but at the same time, would get them a certain amount of subscribers since there are diehard fans that will pay that. We'll, we'll see. But even if that does happen, it's for a limited time, right? Then they have to go back to the table and negotiate UFC and zone in terms of whether or not the UFC will, those international rights will stay with the zone or they'll go somewhere else. So there is some hope there. If zone happens to win the rights, whether or not they pull the paywall trigger before November when the rights are up, if DAZN happens to win the rights, I can guarantee you it will be behind a paywall. That's far too lucrative, lucrative for, for DAZN not to do. They will 100% win.
100% put UFC rights behind the paywall. So, sorry, guys, this is kind of the way it's going in broadcast media rights streaming wars, right? Um, so, hopefully, you guys over there get a good deal out of it, but you may have to start paying a monthly fee to watch that stuff. Figured it was important enough to cover because of the implications. We'll see where it goes. There's still... You know, not an official announcement that DAZN has bought BT Sport, although I believe that's probably imminent at this point. And then in terms of how it will affect these things, we we won't know for quite some time. But if they do pull the trigger, uh, I'm sorry. There's not much you can do about it. And I would expect DAZN to kind of fight hard for the UFC rights because similar to what they were trying to do with Bellator and KSW originally, those are combat sports rights that will pay dividends for them. I don't think Bellator and KSW really got the viewership that they needed or wanted. UFC would give them the viewership that they're looking for to help, you know, help make investors perk up a little bit and help them get more funding to acquire those giant sports media deals, which is again, their entire end goal. So we'll see, see how it goes. Because obviously they don't want to do that to a loss, right? Has to still go through a cost-benefit analysis and make sense. But yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening and watching another episode. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to hit the like, subscribe, bell notification buttons. If you're listening on Anchor FM, thank you so much. I appreciate you guys. Uh, whether it's Anchor, Spotify, Apple, all those guys appreciate it. Uh, yeah, let me know if you have any questions you, or any topics you'd like me to cover on next week's episode. And until then, get money.